it was a nice <laughs> if you get the, I, I didn't put the whole chapter up here but these are some of the ones that we'll get uh, that we'll try to go in depth and kind of take them apart and put them back together and see what they see what they say so let's pray father we love you god we thank you for just everything lord that you are and everything that you do god we thank you for providing your righteousness in christ for us we thank you for just uh, uh, the remission of our sins, God, just by grace through faith. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us tonight, today, as we uh, as we uh, go through your word, Romans chapter 3, Lord, that you would just guide us and that you would teach us the things that you'd have us to know and that you would just show us um, what your will is, not just so we'd have knowledge, God, but just so we can uh, apply these things to our lives and live for you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the three things, and look, I don't have to lecture just for 45 minutes. Say, if you want to talk, say something. If you want to discuss, if I'm going too fast, you got a question, I mean, I can sit down. I used to sit down all the time. Three things. Number one, he's finally going to tell us that God is right to bring justice. You, there are no excuses. There are no but. There are no mitigating circumstances. There are nothing like that. He's right to bring justice. He's right to judge. The second thing, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to meet God's justice. There's no. There's nothing you can do. There's no way you can act. There's nothing that you can accomplish. There's nothing that you can do in and of yourself in any way, shape, or form that will satisfy God's justice. And then number three, the most important one, we finally get to the good news. G- hey, Michelle. Jesus has satisfied has satisfied God's justice for us, okay? So if you remember, we went through Romans chapter 1, and it said that there's no excuse for all them heathens out there, for them pagans that are worshiping idols and doing all those things. There's no excuse. They have no hope. They don't. They can't say, I didn't know, because they had God in creation, and they had this, all that, you know, there's, there's no excuse for them. Then we turned around in chapter 2, and Paul said, now you, religious man, he was talking Jew and Gentile, Remember we talked about the difference between Jew and Gentile. He said, you religious man, there's no excuse for you either. You who judge, you're inexcusable because you have God's law and you don't keep God's law. And the standard of God's law is perfection. And if you don't keep it perfectly, then you failed in keeping the whole law. And so now in chapter 3, he's going to come and he's going to basically condemn everybody in the entire world. He's going to say, in fact, not only religious and non-religious, religious people, but everybody, anybody in between that you can think of is they are under God's judgment, under God's wrath. So he's going to start off by saying he's going to, the first part of chapter three actually continues chapter two. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. And basically we talked about this last week. Um, The Jewish people thought that, well, since I am God's chosen people, I am not under his judgment. I'm exempt. And we, we applied that to us as being religious or raising a Christian home and all that. So Verses, uh, verses, basically verses one through eight, he shows us that that God is right to bring justice. Um, chapter two has already said, "Now you, Mister Mister Jewish man, you religious man who have the law, you're, you're condemned as well." And so chapter three starts out. If you were listening to chapter two, this is what you would Paul, ask Paul. You would say, "What advantage then hath the Jew?" Or what, I'm going to go through these quick because I want to get I want to get to these. What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? Y'all know that's the sign of the covenant. Much in every way, chiefly listen to the advantages of, of being in the covenant, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. The, they, have, they were given the word of God. They wrote down scriptures for us. Even most of the New Testament writers were Jews. For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? What that saying is, because some Jews don't believe, is that going to mean God's not going to keep his promises. And then he says, God forbid. He says, let God be true, saying God is going to keep his promise even though every man 
is a liar. He says, if everybody dropped the ball on the deal, God is still going to keep His promises. But He brings it to to a head here saying, that thou might be justified in thy sayings and might overcome when thou art judged. That is a quote from Psalm 51. I think 51. And what it's saying is, God is justified in bringing judgment whenever and to whoever He sees fit. I'm sorry. Hey, Dana. We didn't realize we didn't have That's okay. I need to go over there and I think it's good. It's all good. So God has the right to judge. He it is right for him to judge. Now I want you to think about this. Most of the people that you talk to, most of the worldview of all kinds of people would say that God is wrong. Not to forgive everybody. God, a good and loving God, would would just forgive everybody. He would just he would just you know give everybody mercy and grace and be done with it. But Scripture's point of view is the exact opposite: is that God is perfect in His justice. Therefore, it's wrong for God to forgive the sinner without any kind of justice being made for the law that's been broken against God. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Like, I put in your in your thing here, I don't know how many of y'all read it. If you didn't, it's fine. We're not going to just go over it, but it was just to help you. Proverbs 17.5 says that he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So it says the one who justifies the wicked, Psalm 7, or Proverbs 17.15, including God, anyone who justifies the wicked or condemns the, what does it say, the righteous is an abomination to the Lord. So God God is a perfect judge, and that's what we've been seeing. So if everybody, if, if Paul, if he's saying that God is going to keep his promises, both good and bad, God said, if you do this, and like Old Testament, Deuteronomy and all these, says, if you do this, then I will do this. But if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. If you ever read Deuteronomy 28 and 29, it's filled with a whole list of blessings and then a whole list of cursings. If you choose life and follow me, this is what you're going to get. If you choose death and refuse to follow me, this is what you're going to get. And it's all bad. And then right here, Paul is saying, well, guess what? Everybody, everybody has chosen death. It says... And then here's this 5 through 8 is like an objector. He's saying, if our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God, what he's saying is, if, if you're saying that God's going to keep his command and that his grace is shown in my sin, why don't I just sin all I want to? And then, like, he's saying, it's like an, Paul is heading off objections. Like, from at the beginning, he, the objection was, there's no advantage of being Jew or Gentile. And then Paul heads that off and says, no, there's much in every way because unto them were committed the oracles of God. And, and we went through that. And now the next objection that he's heading off, in case somebody brings up, is, if our unrighteousness commends the righteousness of God, what shall we say is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? And he's saying, I speak as a man to show you, he's saying, I'm speak the way, I'm speaking the way these guys are speaking. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an argument saying, you've heard it before, I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want. You know, I, I can sin all I want because my sin makes God's grace look bigger, and if my sin makes God's grace look bigger, why not sin all the more to make God's grace look all the more bigger? You know, all the more bigger? Is that work? Okay, whatever. It's close enough, though. But he says, God forbid, for then how shall... God judge the world. For if the truth of God is more bounded through my light unto his glory, why am I also judged a sinner? This is another objection. Same objection, rather. And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come whose damnation is just. Okay? And then he says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, this is, he's going back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, Prove both Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. Okay? 
So verse 8 is saying like he is people are slandering him saying well since God has grace on everybody we can just sin all we want to and of course that would be that would be horrible to a religious Jewish person to say oh you can just do whatever you want to and sin all you want to they would think that's crazy and Paul's saying that's not what I'm saying I'm not saying let's go sin all we want to because God's grace is so wonderful and it, it makes God look bigger when we sin that's not what he's saying at all he's saying what he's saying is that the point of all that has come before is that everybody, both Jew and Gentile, is under sin, is under judgment, is under wrath. And then he's going to string a long quotation together from the Old Testament. And this is where we're going to read this really quick because, I mean, you can pretty much make out what he's saying because we're going to get to this. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about this. And I, I, I figured a way that we can really get the feel of what Paul is saying. As we read these next, uh, I guess, nine verses, what they're going to say is that there is no one on the planet that is righteous. No one's good. No one's. That's basically what they're going to say. Now, when we read these, most of the times I've read it a million times and for a long time I would always say yep nobody's righteous nobody's you know and what I would do is I would try it almost makes you feel better to think that nobody's righteous you know what I mean like like um, yeah like when somebody says oh that's a sin right there and I say oh well no one's righteous you know <laughs> like we all have sin and you know it, it, it's almost like an excuse for like you, you to say you to say well I'm just like everybody else you know and and you know I, you've probably had that a million times somebody says hey you want to go do this she says, no I can't do that you know that's really kind of it's probably sinful it's against God and they say well you know all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God like we're just like everybody else but I want you to think about something God's not going to judge you in a big group like we uh, I, I thought about maybe next week I'm going to move the board over there and if I still use the board and then have the chairs more spread out so like we you know we can I, we can all make eye contact you know like because when you, your class gets big or whatever it, it's easy to, to kind of hide behind or in service when there's all them people you can see them like when you're preaching and then all of a sudden you see a head your head stick out from somebody and then they'll go back you know it's like hiding behind it's easy to say God's judged us all and you feel you know well okay we're all here you know I mean I'm no worse than him and I'm no better than him and so we're all here but that's not how God judges he judges you individually he doesn't judge Brenda based on what Jimmy's done and says well Brenda you did dad but you were better than Jimmy you know he's not going to do that at all what he's going to judge you the standard he'll judge you by is Christ which is what's his standard perfection perfection is his standard so you won't be sitting there in a crowd and God goes all y'all have been condemned you'll be standing there all by your lonesome and, you, and you'll have to answer for not meeting Jesus' standard, which is perfection. Okay? So when I read this, and I'm just going to read it straight through, it's simple enough language that you can understand it without me having a comment on it. I want you to put yourself in... Because like, if I don't understand, I'm going to go stupid asking questions like you should have understood. Well, I mean, it's not... It's nothing... He's just going to say... Uh, like, for instance, verse 10... As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I want you to put yourself in the, the anonymous group of people. Like, like, as it is written, Jennifer is not righteous. Okay? Or Jason is not righteous. There is no one that understands. Verse 11. Jennifer does not understand. Jason does not understand. That means you. You don't understand. It means you're not righteous. Put your name in there. You don't understand. There is none that seeks after God. You, whoever your name is, I don't seek after God. They are all gone out. I've gone out of the way. I'm just going to replace it. Uh, I have become unprofitable. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. I do not do any good. My throat is an open sepulcher, which is a grave. With my tongue, I have used deceit. The poison of asps, which is a snake, is under my lips. My mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. My feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in my ways. And the way of peace I have not known. There is no fear of God before my eyes. Now, 
When, when you do that, did you, I mean, be honest with me. There was something inside of you that kind of rose up and said, I, that's not me. I'm not like that. I don't even know what he's talking about. But yet Paul is saying every part, this is every person on the planet and that includes you and me. You know, now we're going to introduce Christ here at the end of this chapter and he's going to change your heart and he's going to, so there is a difference between y'all who are in Christ and who he's talking about, but just take Christ out of the picture for just this moment until we get to what Paul says about Christ and picture yourself before you were saved, before you knew Christ. And this, no matter how good a person you were, no matter how righteous a person you were, no matter how, you, you know, I never killed nobody, I never committed adultery, I never robbed banks, this characterizes you. And if Christ could be removed, which is impossible, like if you're saved, if Christ could be somehow removed from you and you be back in your flesh, back doing your, you would return to exactly what this says. It says, there is none, the quintessential verse for me is, is written, there is none righteous. And then just in case you don't, re- you know, just in case you want to exclude yourself, it says not even one, not even one person, nobody you have ever known is righteous. You are not righteous. In and of yourself, you do not seek after God. You do not. And think about it. The, uh, I mean, all of us, even as believers, you can see when you get comfortable, when, when there's no stress and there's no trouble, there's no tribulation, there's no crazy things going on in life, what happens? We get comfortable and we start getting distant from God, don't we? We start re- relaxing and, and ha- watching the TV and having fun and everything, and then all of a sudden something bad happens and bang, we back at the altar. See what I mean? So our tendency is to pull away from God. That's our flesh. But there's a spirit inside of us now that wars against that and desires God and does want God and does want to follow him. Uh, but this is, this is pre-salvation. Um, when we talk about, that's why my grandmother used to have the footprints in the sand poem. I don't know if y'all, I mean, it's good. And if you like it, it's fine, but it, it's kind of, it's kind of not real biblical. And this is why I say that. It says, y'all know the footprints in the sand? Everybody know that? No. Well, what it is is it's like there's two footprints in the sand and I'm walking with Jesus. And, and basically in the hard, troubled times of my life, I look back and there's only one footprint. And I say, Jesus, why did you leave me during the hardest times of my life? And he said, that's when I carried you. You know, and it's like, oh. <laughs> But the reality is that, that Christ carried you from the very moment that you stepped in, into his arms all the way to the end. And if Christ were to ever put you down and allow you to walk next to him, you would spend all your energy trying to get away from him. That's how wicked we are at our core. That's how wicked we are. And so... This does talk about you. It does talk about me. And then now Paul says, verse 19, it says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, he's talking about the law, the you know, Ten Commandments, the laws of God, the moral law of God, it saith to them that are under the law, and this is the reason why we have the law. The law was not meant to make you righteous. It was never meant to make you righteous. In fact, he's going to say that. In a, in a minute, he's going to say there is no, there will be no flesh justified by the law. Uh, it was not meant. It was meant that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You see that in verse nineteen. That's what the law does. The law, when you, it makes you realize that I am a sinner. And that's the only way you can come to Christ is knowing that I am a sinner. And it says, verse 20, therefore, because the law, what it does, its function is to stop your mouth you know, from talking, trying to justify yourself, saying I'm not that bad, I'm, it's okay, I'm doing good things and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because the law, that's, that's its function, to stop your mouth to show you that you are a sinner. Verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by law is the knowledge of sin. I'm in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 20. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
Okay? So what the law does, all this time Paul has come from Romans chapter 1, all the pagans out there, they are, law, they are lost and they're, they're without excuse because they, they know that there's a God, they have creation, they have all that. And then chapter 2 says, all you religious people who think that y'all are doing God's law and think that you have a special relationship with God, y'all are all sinners too. You know, y'all are not keeping the law exactly to the perfection that requires God's standard. So verse chapter 1 and 2 says religious, non-religious, or Jew and Gentile, however you want to put it, both are under sin. And then he caps it off right here between verses 1 and verse 19 or 20. Yeah, 20 in chapter 3 showing that everyone is un- everyone is unrighteous, everyone is unjust, everyone is wicked. Not even, I mean when it says even, he says there is no one that does as righteous, there is no one that seeks after God. Can you imagine like a like a Jewish Pharisee who spent his life learning the law and serving in the temple, hearing Paul say that I don't really seek after God. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like for him? He'd be like, you are out of your mind, Paul. I have given my whole life to the service of God. I've given my, and what he's saying, but what Paul's saying is, your heart doesn't really want God. You're trying to earn your status before God by keeping all these words. And then when you stand before God, you can say, God, I earned the right to be here. I did all these things for you and I did all those works. And God would look at him and say, yeah, but you did all these bad things too. And we know that good things don't cancel out bad things. Try that in a court of law. You know, try that when you stand before the judge. Yeah, I know I slapped my wife, but, you know, I helped my, I helped my, my auntie. You know, the, is he going to say, well, that kind of balances out, so it's okay. No, he's going to put you in jail for doing the wrong thing that you did. And that's what justice does. And so God's justice is perfect. So chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first part of chapter 3 is meant to, it's meant to unnerve you. It's meant to make you... I want to say almost afraid. I mean, it's meant for you to see how far you are from God's standard. It's meant to show you how wicked and how wrong and how bad you are. That's what it's for. So if you feel that when you're reading it, you're right exactly where Paul wants you to be. If you read that list of there is none that does righteous, none that understands. If you read that and you put yourself in it and it makes you sick to your stomach and you're like, that can't be me. That's exactly what Paul is going for right here. That's what he's trying to do. And then in verse 21 here, we're going to turn the corner and finally get some good news. See, what, what he's done, and it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty masterful if you, if you ask me, of course. I mean, he was, it was God inspiring him. But what he's done is he's t- systematically taken away every strand of hope that you have. Like, uh, you know, God d- will not see you as righteous because you worship idols. He took that away. You know, and so the Jew would say, well, I don't worship idols, I worship God. So he took that away. And then he's just taken away everything that you cling to to make myself worthy before God and now all of a sudden here I am no hope at the end of all my ropes there's nothing I can do to earn my righteousness and you just it's it's like a feeling of utter despair and hopelessness do y'all see that do y'all feel that like I mean what he's doing is taking away everything that you have that you could call good in your life and saying, nope, that's not good. Nope, that's not good. That's not good. Until finally you're just left with nothing but wickedness and sin. Nothing. And so now I'm here I am. I have nothing to offer God. I have no goodness. I have no... In fact, I'm probably the worst of the worst of the worst. How could God ever accept me? I mean, if if something happened and Paul like had a heart attack right in the middle of verse 3 and didn't finish the letter, it would be like some bad news, Jack. They got his letter and it's like, oh, it's, it's awful. But, and it's a very important but... In verse 21 here it says, and you can still follow along, I, I tried to copy it, I, made a, I might have made a, 
typo, so make sure you follow along in your Bibles too. It says, but now, after all this, after pagans, you guys are condemned, Jewish people, you guys are condemned, all the world is condemned. It says, but now, the one thing that you need, the righteousness of God, that's what you need. Listen, have you ever thought about this? When you stand before God, you don't just need all your sins forgiven like a blank slate you need to have been perfect like not just not doing bad you need to have done all the good that you were supposed to do that makes sense y'all stay with me like huh yeah you don't you if, if you just stood up and said i never did anything bad that's not enough you have to stand up and say i did everything perfectly the way you wanted me not only the stuff i you can't just say there's a bunch of stuff i didn't do so i can get into heaven you have to say there's a bunch of stuff i did perfectly all through my life from the time i was born to the time i died and that's god's righteousness that's what jesus did from the time he's born to the time he died perfect Never sinned, kept God's law perfectly, never did anything. He said, now the righteousness of God, which is what we need, without the law, outside of the law, is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets are, it's, it's a Jewish term for the Old Testament, and it talks about, it talks about, um, it talks about this righteousness of God that was coming. And this righteousness is even the righteousness of God, which is by what? By faith of Jesus Christ. And who is it for? It's unto all and upon all them that what? Okay. For there is no difference. What is he talking about? There is no difference, you think? We know chapter one is pagans. Chapter two is Jews. Chapter one and nine. It applies to everyone. There is no difference. For all have sinned. Who is all? Everybody. Everybody. Religious man, non-religious man, Jewish man, Gentile man. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, it's easy to take that verse and use it as an excuse. People do it all the time. I mean, you know, when, when you say, hey, you ain't supposed to be doing that. Well, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is not, this verse here is supposed to encapsulate all the things that have come before. So this means that not only have I sinned, but I've done nothing in my life but sin. I mean, can you think about that? Like he's already said, there's no one good. No one does righteous. No one understands. No one seeks after God. No one. If you take the context of all these verses that have come before, he's saying for all have sinned. He's saying there is no one that has ever done anything good or righteous at all. When you fed the hungry or, you know, did a good deed for your neighbor or whatever, those might have been good things. But before God, they're not worth anything because it's taken with your sin. Does that make sense? Like, you can do a good deed for someone, and that's good. Yes. But is that good in God's sight? Like, oh, he's done good, and I'm going to give him credit for that. No, sir. No, sir. Huh? That's because, yeah. And it's like, I, I liken it to... Well, we said this before, like if somebody, and I use this because it's a really horrible crime, but for God, any, any kind of sin is, it's an assault on his nature. It's an attack on him. So I use this because it, it shocks us, but like if someone killed your child, you know, there's no work, there's no material possession, there's no thing they could offer you to make up for what they've done. Now, you know, you, being a believer, you might forgive them and you might, you know, we, we, that's a whole other discussion. But is there something that I could give you that in receiving that, it would make up for it? Okay, you have, you have made up for what you did. There's nothing that they could give. There's nothing. There's nothing that would make up for it. Why? Because the act, even the fact, matter of fact, just the fact of them trying to offer me something to make up, that would offend you, wouldn't it? It would offend you that you think that you could offer me something that's going to make up for what you did. And that's what we do when we try to give God our good works as far as being saved. You know, here, God, I know 
know I've done all these things bad, but here are some good things so you can declare me righteous because I've done all these good things. That is offensive to God's nature in the same way it would be offensive to you if someone tried to offer you something for, for you know, killing your kid. So, <clears throat> but this righteousness now is by faith of Christ Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe. So it is a righteousness of God that is given to us based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now here he's going to explain it. Verse 25. How do, we, how do we get justified before God? How do we get the righteousness of God? This, Jesus, this Christ Jesus is whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Say that three times. Propitiation. Okay. What is a propitiation? Anybody know? Yes? Yeah, it's like a substitute, like an offering. But the difference between, if you wanted to say the difference between a propitiation and an offering is a propitiation, and I don't know if it's, I want to say propitiation, but I don't know if it's propitiation or propitiation. Isn't that a legal term? Huh? Is that a legal term? I don't know. Like in Paul's day or today? Oh, yeah, yeah, it, 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 very much so, because it would, what it is, is a satisfaction of wrath, yeah, of debt. It's a satisfaction, it's, it's, you offer something and it pays for what, it's not just like, this is a sacrifice, oh, I hope it's good, you know, a propitiation is something that pays for it. So, God set forth Christ, it says, Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, to be a satisfaction of wrath through, how do we get the satisfaction of wrath? Through faith in His blood. Okay, that's His death on the cross. And the reason is to declare His righteousness, talking about God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, for the remission, which means forgiveness. I missed something right there, didn't I? I missed something right there. For the remission, it should be like of sins. Is that what is that what I missed? Okay. So I'm glad you got your Bible. See, I'm not infallible. <clears throat> His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. What we've done through the forbearance of God. What's forbearance? Patience. Okay. So look at what this is saying. I'm trying to get out of the way so y'all can see it, but. It's saying, God who set forth Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus whom God has set forth, he gave his son to be a satisfaction of wrath through when we have faith, trust in his blood, that is his death saves us, gives us God's righteousness. And the reason he did that, the reason he gave Christ Jesus as a propitiation for us to be saved by faith through his blood is to declare his righteousness. God cannot just say, well, all these guys are sinners and I'm just going to take them to heaven anyway. He can't do that because he's righteous. And if he's righteous, that means he has to judge every sin. Not just the big bad ones, every single one. He's got to judge you for your thoughts. He's got to judge you for every idle word you've spoken. He's got to judge you for every single thing that you do in your thought life, in your practice. He's also got to judge you for the things that you didn't do. So you're walking around here and, you know, you might have done a million uh, sins of omission by, uh, by not doing what you were supposed to do. James says, he who knows what to do is right and doesn't do it to him it's sin uh there's no telling it's it's like no it, it, yeah it's just no hope whatsoever but he says he declares himself righteous for the remission the forgiveness the passing away of the of the sins that we've done while he waited patiently you know, all this time, uh, just 27, 29 years. I'm 29, brother, age is 27. At 29, I was saved. God would have been right and just to take out his wrath upon me at any moment in my life before I was 29. But he was patient. 
I spit in his face. I sinned against him. I did all. I mean, I the, the like. If you put my life on the big screen out there, I promise you, people wouldn't be bringing their teenagers for me to hang out with. Uh, but God didn't bring His wrath on me all those years. And then when I was 29, He saved me. Uh, so he gave Christ as a propitiation to declare his righteousness for the sins that are past. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of, he, of who? Of me. Yeah, of, of the one that believes in Jesus. Okay? You see what I mean? So think about it this way. Basically, Paul's telling us God's problem. God has a problem. I am, let's say, if, if I'm God, my problem is I'm perfect. And if I'm perfect, that means I'm a perfect judge. That means I have to judge everybody perfectly. No sin can escape. No, you know, if you had a judge up here at Haywood County and he lined up a bunch of murderers and said, you know what, I'm just let y'all go. It's all good. You know, that would be against the law. They put the judge in jail for that. So if you're going to be a perfect judge, you have to judge perfectly, which means every sin, every little bitty tiny sin. I love it when people ask me, why does God allow evil? I say, well, how much evil should he destroy? And they say, all of it. I said, well, what if he starts with me and you? You know, it's like, oh, oh, okay, well, never mind. If God's a perfect judge, every sin, not just the big ones, not just every single one, and for him to be just, he has to condemn every sin. But he also wants to justify the sinner. So how can I how can I stay just perfectly and pour out all my wrath on sin, but yet also let these people that I love go free? How can I do both? How can I pour out my wrath and be just and perfect in my judgment, but yet also be graceful and merciful and let these people go? And the answer is the cross. This is what he's talking about. By faith in his blood to him that believe in Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross, God poured all his wrath, all his anger, all his judgment, all his justice. He poured it all out on Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just Jesus suffering because the Romans hung him up there or the Jews condemned him. It was God himself, the Father. It was the Father pouring his wrath out on the Son. And then when it was done, Jesus said, it is finished. The wrath, all the wrath for sin, all the justice, all the judgment that I deserve was given. So God is still just. He's still a perfect judge. The only difference is like I'm, if I'm standing in the perfect judge's courtroom and it says, Jason, these are your sins and this is what you've done and all. I mean, he lines them up and I've got to pay for every every single one of them. The only difference now is I can be justified because Jesus came and stepped in my place and took all the condemnation. And because I trust in him, now I can go free because all of God's justice has been poured out on somebody else. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Anybody, any questions? Any confusion? So what he's saying is God can be just. He is righteous. He is perfect. He is judgment. He is, he can do all that because he poured it out on his son. And he can also be the justifier of those that believe in Jesus because all his wrath has been poured out. So basically what you have is you have over here, you have this brown chair would be my nasty, sinful life. Remember, he said, there's no one that does good. No one does righteous. No one seeks after God. No one understands all that stuff. That was me. Uh, that is me without Christ. And then over here, I wish I had a white chair, but I don't. This pretend white chair is Jesus's perfect life. Okay? Jesus never sinned. He never said, never did anything wrong, ne did everything he was supposed to do. There was never a time when he failed God's law. He lived God's law perfectly. So what, what it is, is now when the father looks at me and he sees, he sees, this is my nasty judgment. This is my nasty sin, all that kind of stuff. 
He takes all this sin, all this disgusting, all the punishment that I deserve, all the the justice that I deserve, all the judgment, and he puts that over on Jesus and and, and pours it out on him, nailing him to a cross, dying a sinner's death, dying in the midst of sinners, dying by the hands of sinners. And he takes Jesus' perfect life that he never sinned, and he puts it on my account. So when I trust in Christ, when I trust in Jesus, when I believe in Him, when I put my faith in Him, when I accept Him, which is a phrase that I don't normally use, but when I accept Him as my Lord, now when God the Father looks at me, He doesn't see... Just put that chair on top of that chair. Hey, that's pretty good. That's what I was thinking. Oh, well, see what? Yo, why don't y'all speak up? I told you, I'm just flying by the seat of my pants here. From, like, okay, which one was sin? That, that one's sin, man. I uh, see, uh. Now, which one? If I had three, I'd do a three card. You ever heard three card money? Okay, never mind. All right, this was sin. This is my life. Never done anything right. Never done anything good. Even though I'm not the worst of all criminals, I'm still utterly sinful. Never done anything good. This is Jesus' life. And when I trust in Him, God, hopefully easier than that. You can't stack these kind of chairs. There you go. Okay. That makes sense? Like... Come on. Is there a rag over there? Yeah, yeah give me that rag, Scott. <laughs> what you I ain't laughing about nothing, man. All right. I misquoted the verse anyway, so y'all need to be looking at that. All right. So here, this is the record of my life, right? This is all the things I've done. You're going to need a lot more chalk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not funny. Look, I even got it 3D. How about that? All right, that's the book of my life. God looks at it. It's nothing but wickedness, nothing but evil, nothing but bad. Never done anything right. All that stuff we read in Romans 3, never done anything, you know, never seeked after God. The poison of asps in my lips and what? Amen. Shut up. That's probably the first time you amen somebody in your life, Scott. And over here, we've got Jesus' life. This is His obedience. This is what He's done all through His life. He never broke the law. He always sought after God. He never did anything wrong. Perfection. If there was one who could fulfill the law and do everything right that you're supposed to do, He did it, right? So what happened was God, the Father, I keep saying God, you know, Jesus is God, you get the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll do that from time to time. We'll talk about that some other time. But the Father, in order to be just, He poured all His wrath out on His Son, and He took His Son's record, His perfect record, And he transferred his record to my account. So now when the father looks at me, he doesn't see, he doesn't see all these sins. He sees Jesus' perfection. Does that make sense? And what he did with my sins, because he can't just let them go, he put them on Jesus' account and poured out all his wrath on them on the cross. What? Just while you were explaining it before you got to the end. As if when you get to the point where God's looking at your record of sins that have not been paid for, when you transfer Jesus over there, He sees the sins that have been paid for. You understand, Paul? Hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, tell me, do it, say it a different way. Well, God's looking at your record of sin okay. that has not been paid for. That, lost. I'm lost. This is my Christ. sins, okay? And then in Christ. You talk about transferring Christ, but before that point, you said God had poured out His wrath of sin on His sinless, on His perfect Son. So now, when He looks at you in Christ, in Christ, He sees that it's all been paid for. Right. That's the point I'm making. That's not exactly what you said, but that's what I heard. Okay. Does that not make sense? Yeah, I think it makes sense, but I, I, I didn't see. I thought that's what I said. That's not what you said. Is that not what I said? Exactly. Is that what I said? Okay. Well, let me say it a different way, and then we'll go. 
Now I want you to he- I want you to hear this, and we're going to see this uh, as we go through Romans some more. Um, Paul is saying here at the end of chapter three that this righteousness that you're looking for in God is by faith. It's not by keeping the laws. It's not by it's not by doing good because no one's done good. It's by faith. But what I want you to see is that. All the sins that you've ever done in your whole life and all the sins that you ever will do. You know, some of y'all, when you wake up and you're 80 years old, you're probably going to do something stupid. I mean, it's just a fact. All the sins that you've ever done, all the sins that you ever will do are all paid for on the cross. Okay? So that means, I want you to think about this now. Do I still sin in my life? Do I still sin like when I wake up this morning? And I, Yeah, I do. I mean, the believer doesn't desire to sin because his heart's been changed. We're going to talk about that in Romans chapter 7. But I still fail. I still fall. I'm still made of flesh. I still... But I don't have to despair. And I don't have to... I don't have to carry the shame. I'm sorry about that. And the guilt, I'm spitting on Jimmy while I'm talking. I don't have to carry the shame and the guilt because Jesus has taken all that sin and paid for it. So when I see something, when God reveals to me there's a sin that I need to take care of, uh, for some people, it's devastating. It's like... Oh, I must not. God hates me now. You know, God, it can't be that way. It can't be. According to Paul's theology, according to Romans, according to the New Testament, it can't be that way. God does not judge you, your your righteousness before him. He does not judge you based on what you do or what you don't do. He judges you based on what Jesus did. Okay? So how many of you have you ever felt like, man, I'm praying and I'm praying, but my prayers just ain't getting through the ceiling? You felt like that before? I mean, I felt like that before. But see, the reality is it can't be that way. It can't be. What you're saying when you're saying God is is he you know God just doesn't love me or God's not you know he, he I'm not good enough for him or what what you're saying is Jesus ain't enough you're saying Jesus ain't enough to play pay, to play to Jesus ain't enough to pay for my sin when I pray Jesus takes all my prayers and cleans them up so to speak you know with the cross and with the blood and presents them to the Father perfect perfect prayers uh, when I when I do my works now when I do good things, you know, they're still not acceptable for righteousness. But Christ takes them and cleans them up by the cross, by the blood, and gives them to the Father. And guess what? Now I can get a reward for the work that I do. Not because my work is so awesome, but Christ has cleaned everything with His blood. So now I can get a reward for the work that I do. You see what I mean? And so... If you would start, I call it preaching the gospel to yourself. If you would start seeing yourself the way God sees you, everything in your life will... I don't know, it just starts falling into place, you know. Things that usually would break me down don't break me down anymore. Things that usually would just cause me to fret and angry, get angry, it just doesn't, doesn't happen like it used to. Now, when I say see you the way God sees you, I'm not talking about just, just Mr. Smiley on TV going, y'all are awesome and we're all just crazy, you know. I'm talking about that. I'm talking about the way God sees you is what we've talked about, Romans 1, 2, and 3. God sees you as absolutely without goodness, totally wicked, evil to the core, but now that you've put your faith in Christ, you're perfect in Him. See what I mean? So you understand that, yes, I am wicked. When Satan comes and says, you're just the worst of the worst, you're not, you're right. I am the worst of the worst. I'm wicked to the core, but I have something that Jesus gave me Through his death on the cross, I have the perfection of God. So when God sees me, yes, sir, he does say, yep, that guy's really wicked. But he says he's got the blood of Jesus Christ covering him. That makes him perfect in my eyes. And see, in my experience with that, I have seen people take that and almost become confident with it. Well, God said, Jesus, he'll see me. Where for me, 
in that mindset, it takes me to a whole other level of unworthiness. Yeah, and Paul's going to talk about that. When we get to Romans chapter 6, he's going to say, well, what does that mean? Shall we sin so that God's grace may abound? He's going to talk about the people who say, well, now that we're perfect, we can just do whatever we want to. We're going to get it. That's why I love Romans. It goes through. Can you see what I'm talking about? Like just saying... You know, well, I'm perfect. You know, they really, they really walk the They think that they're walking perfectly. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Well, that's, yeah. It, that, that's somebody who's delusional. And, and, but what I'm saying for me is in, in, in all this, in knowing that, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it. Right. And, and knowing that God stands in my, you know, Jesus stands in my place makes me feel even more I'm grateful. Right. I'm humble. But yeah. it takes me to a whole other level of just unworthiness. And you, well, the whole point of all this, and we're going to go, We, uh, I'm already running late. The whole point of all this is no matter how bad you think you are, I promise you, you're a ten times worse. That's right. You're ten times worse than you think you are. But... In Christ, the Father sees you as perfect. And nothing in this world, not anything you do, not anything that is done to you, can change the status that you have. Okay? So if you're thinking, a lot of people I counsel, they'll, they'll say like, okay, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go do better. I'm saying, whoa, 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 you missed the point. If you walk out of here thinking I'm going to go do better and that's going to make me more in touch with God or more righteous before God or closer to God or in better relationship with God, you've missed the point. Jesus has made you perfect in perfect relationship with God, in perfect fellowship with God. Now, when you sin, will you be disciplined? Yes, sir. When you sin, will you be punished like for the punishment of your sin? No, because Jesus took your punishment. You will, believers are not punished for their sin. They're disciplined to bring them back into a walk of righteousness. Does that make sense? So when God comes with something like, you know, the belt or whatever and whoops your butt, it's not just to punish your sin. It's to correct you and turn you back onto the path of righteousness. Okay? This is a very important chapter, and it's important because it shows you both sides of the coin. You are worthless as far as goodness is concerned, but with Christ, you're absolutely perfect. There's nothing higher that you can aspire to. There's no greater goal to reach. There's no, you know, like if I can finally just do this, I'll be, you know, God will be so, no, perfect. So this is a very important chapter. I suggest reading it uh, all the time. And just understand that whatever you go through, whatever you go through, your circumstances, your performance does not change your status in Christ. It's perfect. And if it's not perfect, then that means if, if you think it's not perfect, you're adding something to the cross. Okay? And that's something we can't do. Everybody understand? Does it make sense? Comments? Cries of outrage? Did you have a fingernail in your mouth or something? Oh, yeah. I'm just a little bloated coffee. All right, let's pray. Lord, Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. God, I just cannot express the gratitude that we should feel, God, that we should feel because we are not good. There's none of us that is worthy. There's none of us that seeks after you. There is none of us that understands or does those things. But you have given us the very righteousness of yourself. And all that's required of us is to trust in you by faith in your blood, by faith faith in your cross, to believe in Jesus, and that gives us the, all the perfection that you have to offer. God, what a joyous thing that we can walk out of here. If we've trusted in Christ, we can walk out of here knowing that we need to do better, knowing that we have a long way to go in our walk, but also knowing that we are perfect in your eyes because of what Jesus did for us. God, we what, what a reason to go into service with a heart of worship and a mind that stayed on you. We love you and we thank you, God. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for these people. And God, I just pray for them this week that you would be with them, that you bless them, and that you would show them yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This Friday is going to be our deal, I guess. I'll just text everybody and then...